From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 51. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Build It Beautiful, Stamps.com, Postage on Demand, and GoToMeeting. Make it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Six Colors, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. I don't, what color am I today? Uh, Green. Okay, today's a green day. Good. Good. I, I, I have colors for six of the days, and on the seventh day, I rest. No color. No color. Have you picked the day? Oh, that's transparent. It's on the uh, the Sabbath, but for people, for, for, for my religion I just made up, the Sabbath is, t- is Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. When a lot of Apple announcements happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to be I'd like to be completely transparent on that day. <laughs> I have no color whatsoever. Can't trust me on any other day. Nope. Just Tuesdays. Yes. <laughs> it's good we record on Monday then, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It is. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Start of a start of a brand new week. It's raining here in London. Mm. A lot today, even more than usual. Um but yeah, I've um, down from the high of the Relay Birthday Week. It was a great week last week. Lots of yeah. really fun and exciting things happening. If you haven't seen it, uh, I would love it if you would go and read the article that TechCrunch wrote about us. It's a little bit of follow up and follow out. Um, I'll put yeah, it in the show that's notes a, for this week. The great, great article. Kind of, yeah. I, I actually was kind of embarrassed by it because it's so detailed. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of words that that guy wrote about Relay. Three thousand. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you notice about uh, the part where I said about uh, and, and Romain quoted it about how many yep. people have come to Relay because of because of your fine self? Yeah, I am Relay's rainmaker. You as, are. As what it turns out, I, I am. I am the cool finder. I'm the rainmaker. I'm making do, it rain right you now do make on it rain. you in mm-hmm. London. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I would. I should make it rain here in California. We need the rain. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't give it to me. We've got tons of it. You no. need it more than I do. Uh, I made a horrible mistake. I just got back from a sort of long weekend trip to uh, Spokane, Washington for the World Science Fiction Convention, which more importantly was also a meeting of many incomparable panelists. And we did a, a, a couple of podcasts and we did a live incomparable radio drama at the at the convention. And I got to meet some uh, cool people and uh, yeah, and hang out with a lot of those. Uh, so many of my podcast pals are people I don't get to see in person, like almost ever. So that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. We got to, we got to actually see each other um, in person. It was very, very cool. And we recorded Clockwise. We did. Dan Warren and I were in Clockwise Number One Hundred came out last week, and Dan Warren and I were in the uh, in a hotel room in, in Spokane, Washington, recording that. And you and Stephen were nice to actually host the shows for us. And uh, so you weren't there, but you were there in spirit. I always am. <laughs> wherever, wherever you are, you're there in spirit. <laughs> wherever you are, wherever I am, yes, you're a, you're you you hover. You're one of my uh, little Jedi ghosts that mm-hmm. that urges me on to do good things whenever I'm, I don't know, walking around. So I'm at the moment. I'm going through a phase of buying an incredible amount of input devices for my <laughs> Mac. Like, it's the season. I currently have on my desk, I, I am not exaggerating, I have three mice, a trackpad, and a uh, Wacom tablet. Uh, are, you, are you shopping around, or are you, because I know you've got your, two, your, your two, two-fisted input device method. Mm-hmm. Have you decided that it's more efficient to have three mice and a tablet, and, you know, and you're driving one with your, like, with your nose, as you do, because you're I a do. nose-toucher? 
as I want to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting them through their paces, and we spoke about it a bit on Connected last week, and on this week's episode of Connected, I'm going to talk about a new purchase that I made. Uh, I've, bought, I've bought a new mouse, which is quite a stupendous piece of equipment. So I was just interested, because this is what I'm thinking about right now. Uh, what do you use? I have a uh, Magic Trackpad. I was actually listening to all of the Trackpad discussion. This is some more follow-out, too, on, on uh, ATP. All of their talk about, about mice and trackpads and, and uh, tap-to-click mm-hmm. versus actual... I, which I hate. I hate tap-to-click. I know. See, tap-to-click oh, is it. the podcaster's friend. Oh, no, it's not. No, oh, yes, it is. not this podcaster. It's my enemy. Oh, and I will see silent. it defeated I'm, in all its places. I am adding things to our show notes right now in complete silence because I'm tap-to-clicking. But Do you I, hear that, Mike? Do you hear me clicking? Do you hear me clicking right yes, now? Yes, it's like thunder in my ears, <laughs> no, Jason. No, that's a lie. <laughs> you cannot hear my click. Uh, my click is it, of my little magic trackpad is is essentially silent. But I used to be a trackball user. I for years I used the trackball, and uh, only um, a couple of years ago, you know, I'm probably longer than that now. Three or four years ago, I switched to the magic trackpad because I love the I love the trackpad gestures, and I use those all the time. And so when I'm and when I'm editing podcasts, I, there was a bug at some point. I don't know whether it was an early version of um, it might have been in, in an early version of El Capitan. Um, uh, where at some point, um, whatever service reads uh, multi-touch crashed in the background. And, 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 and I've, so had I, I, I've had yeah, this. I've had this. So I was in Logic, and I w- and I was trying to scroll and trying to zoom, and I'm like, "Why is nothing happening?" And I had to reboot, and then it was fine. But I had that moment of like, "Wow, I really rely on trackpad gestures to do what I do." So, um, and that and that's why I switched to the trackpad. I've had it just break in certain scenarios on El Capitan. So, like, for example, I can scroll web pages, but can't scroll in the notification center to get the do not stuff. It's been, like, really That's weird. That's even weirder, yeah. But, yeah, that, that explains why it wasn't working. I, I didn't put two and two together that I was running I, I, the beta. I assume that's what it is, is that there's... I mean, because apps can lose it, but this was, like, system-wide. I just couldn't, couldn't do gestures anymore. <laughs> I was like, this is really bad, because I, I do rely on it. So that's always been my thing. So I don't do tap-to-click, um, but I do use the Magic Trackpad. Uh, that's my input device. I used to use a Kensington trackball for years and years and years and liked it because I liked the big, as they mentioned on ATP, I like the fact that you can do kind of big gestures to move the for me mouse uh use was always you know it's super like your your uh your hand is tight your fingers are kind of grasping that mouse and then you're kind of very carefully moving it around and what i liked about the trackball is that you could make big gestures just kind of roll the ball up into the corner and then and then click and things like that and and i essentially still do that my the the habits from that those days serve me pretty well with the trackpad because i can still just sort of like flip my finger across the trackpad and the cursor goes in the general direction i want it to go what okay so why do you have the graphics tablet since you are not uh, an artist gray uses one and he uses it for audio editing i told you to stop hanging out with this guy he's a bad influence i know and <laughs> he suggested it to me to try and it's surprisingly compelling as a as a way to do fine audio editing so i'm trying them all out like because right now i can't decide um which of this incredible new mouse that I have, again, no spoilers, and this Wacom tablet and the Magic Trackpad and my Logitech mouse that I have, the MX mouse, uh, 
between all of these things. Oh, I also use a magic mouse. All of these things, I'm trying to work out what is the the right one for me at the moment. Because I'm trying to do a couple of things. I'm trying to prevent RSI problems, right? That is a, a something I just need to be considerate about. So I'm trying to use the right kind of stuff, good ergonomic stuff. But I'm also trying to find what is the thing that can make me the most efficient with audio editing. So, mm-hmm. because as well, like I use two hands right now, but I would like to not have to do that. Um, so I'm trying, and also trying to find something that can be replicated wherever I'm working. I-, I think the next time I come to London, I need to I need to stand over your shoulder and watch you edit something, and I, I- and you need to take me to whatever secret bunker Gray lives in, uh, or works in. <laughs> adjacent to wherever secret bunker he lives in and uh i need to watch how he edits too because i i'm fascinated i don't understand how this could possibly work yeah i'm i'm tempted to actually try and make a video of this at some point because i've had a couple of people say like with this two-handed mode that i have so i use the trackpad of my left hand for gestures zooming and panning stuff like that and then a mouse in my right hand for like to to do precision editing, and I use the keyboard as well, with like keyboard gesture, uh, keyboard shortcuts <laughs> to keyboard gestures. I stroke my keyboard uh, with keyboard your nose, short- I yes, naturally, uh, and I use a bunch of keyboard shortcuts. Right, and so between those three things, that's how I use Logic. And this is to some people makes perfect sense because they do it themselves, but to other people, they're they're very puzzled by it. So mm. uh, I'm thinking about maybe at some point trying to make a video of some description to to try and highlight what, exactly what I'm doing here. Yeah. Yeah, because it's I, I wonder. And the idea of using a... I know people who use a, a pen input for um, for interface and they and they get they really get into it. Um, but I, I I don't know. I just I have a hard time conceiving of uh, editing audio that way. But, you know, maybe so. I, I have I've created my own crazy way of doing audio editing in order to get to be as fast as I can in logic. But I just have one hand on the keyboard and one hand on the trackpad, just like I do when I'm using my computer for everything else. And and, uh, you know, I've got keyboard shortcuts and I've got, you know, pointing and panning and zooming all happening with the one trackpad. That's the why they make all these different pointing devices, I guess, is that everybody can come up with their own thing that works for them. But it's just funny. I have a hard time even conceiving how you do it. So I would love to see, yeah, I'd love to see a video or something. Yeah, maybe I should work on that. Yeah. Should we do some follow-up? Uh, we'll start off with some follow-up on Mike and the Movies last week. Yeah. Uh, so War Games follow-up. So there will be some very light spoilers for this 80s movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would you like to, to go ahead and, and explain sure. a lot we've received? Yeah, so Nolan, we, we talked a lot about, like, why did they come toward the end of the movie, just right into the last, at the beginning of the last act of the movie, um, when the kids are on the beach and, they're, and they've decided the world's going to end and they're kissing and it's just going to be this nice romantic moment at the end of the world and then there's bright lights and a helicopter. And, like, what is going on in that scene? Um and you know we talked about did the army come for them but falcon but falcon is there but there's like an army or norad or something there's like lightning bolt symbol on the side fake probably uh on the side of the helicopter so it's a military helicopter but falcon is there so we're wondering sort of like and it's never really explained and then they're rushed to norad and they go in through that big vault door that will crush them 
if they don't just sort of sneak in there. Um, so Nolan wrote in and said, it seems to me that Professor Falcon has come to his senses, calls NORAD, so he was convinced sort of by the kids' argument, calls NORAD and has enough heavy pull with them to get the kids and get a helicopter and go save the world. Um, and McKittrick, uh, uh, Dabney Coleman, doesn't know anything about it, so there's no way he found them to get them, and isn't he surprised to see Falcon when they arrive? So uh, that's his suggestion. Nolan's suggestion is that Falcon is is somehow involved in this. I think that's valid. I think it's also valid that they um, that that in this moment where it looks like they're going to uh, to DefCon One, that they might uh, pick Falcon up. Uh, from from uh, his retirement and call him into action for this just in case they need him at the end of the world and he he picks up the kids um, but it's not ever clear but um, you know it is true that that Falcon seems to be potentially more complicit in what happens than than I was giving him credit for yeah my, my head canon is that mm. Falcon made a telephone call yeah it could be he doesn't when they get to when they get to Norad he still doesn't seem entirely convinced. But it may just be that he's decided he wants... It may be that he's decided he wants to see it. He yeah. wants to see the end of the world. He wants to either get more information or just watch while the world burns. That may be what he's doing there. Because he, he he still seems to need convincing at the end. Although that may also be part of his thing with Matthew Broderick where he's basically... He sees himself in the kid and he wants the kid to work it out. Mm-hmm. He started this. If the kid can work it out, then the kid can solve it. Um, and so maybe it's that he's not really undecided so much as he's um, he wants to guide uh, Matthew Broderick to do it instead. I don't know. I have to watch it again. Oh. Let's do that. Let's go. Let's take a break and we'll watch yeah. the movie. <laughs> we'll let you know what we think. Uh, Kevin wrote in uh, and pointed out, and this is, I, I will stand by the fact that it's totally insane that there's a school group touring the headquarters of America's nuclear uh, nuclear missile arsenal. Um, however, according to listener Kevin, uh, until the uh, until 1999, you could uh, call up and say, I'd like a tour of NORAD, <laughs> and they would give you a tour of NORAD. I, that's crazy, but there you go. I'm, I, he sent us a link to an article about how um, the tours were curtailed in 1999, um, and I wonder if uh, after uh, 9/11, if they if they stopped them all together. That I don't 100%. know. But in the eight yeah. in the 80s in the 80s, you could take a tour of NORAD. Something I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I just thought of it. Was the movie filmed there? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think they built a giant set. In fact, I think there are some articles about famously about this this huge set that they built for. Uh, John Syracuse talks about that a little bit in the incomparable episode about it. Oh, it's a spectacular, huge control room set that they've got. Right, because I mean uh, the outside shots, though. I mean, yeah, I think so. Although, I mean, they the, there are lots of establishing shots that are, you know, the the Cheyenne Mountain complex, the Stargate, the TV show uses those because that's where it's set. the The whole secret, you know, not even secret government base inside a mountain is a, you know, that's uh, it's a real thing and a and a and a movie and TV trope. But yeah. I don't know if they that that footage is from there or not. It might be, but they've got they've got some action stuff, you know, where they're trying to get inside the gates and all of that. And you know, I'm pretty sure there's not a bank vault door on the entrance although maybe they just use that door they use that door a lot well it might not look like that the door in war games looks like it's from a a bank vault yeah like from a bank vault set right it doesn't look to me like that would be something that the that the actual facility would use it'd probably use something a lot less interesting looking than a shiny bank vault they probably shot that part in a bank 
or something like that. Yeah, or or they've got a bank vault set somewhere. Yeah, you know, in a uh, in some movie studio lot that they used. I don't know. Anyway, that, that was good feedback, and uh, I heard from a lot of people. We were, we got a lot of nice mentions on Twitter from people who were excited that we talked about war games because it definitely, especially people of a, a more nerdy persuasion of a certain age, and, and this includes me, um, it holds a cl- it holds a special place in our hearts. And like I said, this would not make my top ten films favorite films list, like some of the movies we've watched on this show, but. It, it it still holds a special place in my heart because it was you know anybody who was into into computers in the early 80s this was the this was the movie that spoke to us really for the first time of like that's that's somebody like us and he almost destroyed the world <laughs> right. we still have some more follow up to get to but let me take our first break for this week's episode and thank our friends over at go to meeting from Citrix for sponsoring this week's show so I want you to think about all of the time, money, and hassle that it takes to hold a meeting at work. You have to get people in the same place. You want to make sure you've got all the IT set up correctly. Maybe you have to make a call to somebody on the fifth floor to come up and help you with the projector. Then maybe you want to sort out refreshments because people will only ever come to your meetings if they can get a cup of tea. I know that's definitely something that happens in England. It's a lot of hassle. You know, you have to do all this stuff. You have to get all this stuff set up. You have to just coordinating calendars with people is an absolute disaster and a mess because people have to think about their traveling time and maybe they're on the 31st floor so they're late because they have to get to the 10th floor you don't want to have to do any of this because there is a better way and that way is go to meeting from Citrix. You can meet your clients and co-workers online. It is the smarter way to meet. Go to meeting makes it easy for you to be able to meet with your teams wherever you are, where whenever you need to because with go to meeting you can meet from any computer, tablet or smartphone without travel expenses or even thinking about the hassle of travel. And I really love that, right? I remember there were days where um when I was in my corporate job and we would have these go to meeting uh, meetings and I might be somewhere else and I was traveling. I remember vividly using my iPhone, maybe my iPhone 3G, to go into go to meeting meetings on trains. So I could be on a train and I had a, an, a it was like an overground train and I had a cell connection. So I could attend a go to meeting on my iPhone and watch the you could I could even on my iPhone my, my small little iPhone 3G I could watch the slides that were being presented because you can share your screen right you can review it and get feedback and I would be able to watch the slides of the sales director and he was talking us through what was going on and I could watch it right there on my phone your team is are able, we able to join your meeting by just clicking a link no sign ups no speed bumps you just enter your name and you're good to go you can also turn on your webcam And with HD quality video, it's just like being in the room. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing so you and your team can get on the same page and get going quickly. Stop wasting time with the crazy logistics of arranging meetings. Go and sign up for GoToMeeting today. You can try it out for free for 30 days and there's absolutely nothing to lose. Just visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button and you'll have your first meeting up and running in just minutes. Once again, that is GoToMeeting.com for your free 30 day trial thank you so much to citrix go to meeting for supporting this show really a great just a really great product and i used it a lot and it saved my bacon a bunch of times especially when i was late for meetings (laughs) i could attend them on the train (laughs) you want you want their special product late to meeting (laughs) yeah i'll I'll pitch them on that one it's a good idea Mm -hmm. so i see something here that excites me jason a link from six colors in our show notes here. Yes. Uh, 
with the uh, the the title on notes, the pen is mightier than the keyboard. Yes. What that, do we have that, uh, Well, I I I don't believe it. Don't believe it. It's not true. But there's a really interesting story that I I linked to um, that ran on uh, KQED, which is the local public prod- broadcaster here in the San Francisco area, actually. Um, uh, talking about a study published in the journal Psychological Science um, where they did tests about people taking notes in the classroom. Uh, students taking notes with uh, by writing them down on paper or by using a computer. And what they found, first round they found is that people tended to write verbatim what was being said when they did it. They're transcribing on the computer. Whereas on a piece of paper, you can't, you can't write that fast. Nobody can write that fast. So they were doing, they were doing summaries. They, they, uh, were trying to boil things down. And for a long time, people have felt, and there have been studies, I believe to, to, to show this, that the act of processing what you've heard and boiling it down into something in your, in your notes helps you to remember it. In fact, I can think of a, a, a slogan, that reflects that. My favorite paper manufacturer, Field Notes. I love my Field Notes notebooks. And they said uh, they always they say their slogan is "I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now." And right. I think that really does come from a place like I know that that's the way I feel. I am a big pen mm-hmm. and paper guy. I think a lot of people know this. Um, and when I write things down, when I take notes, I, I feel like it engages other parts of my brain mm-hmm. and it helps me process the information in a better way um, and I'm able and I think that I'm able to do faster on pen and paper things like make emphasis of something in an interesting way right so I sure. can like circle it and I can put mm-hmm. an exclamation mark next to it which is I think more difficult for me anyway to do something like that on a computer I can change the color of it but it doesn't feel right it doesn't have that like tactile feel of like circling it twice and underlining it and drawing a little arrow that comes out the side and you can do all of this stuff in apps like uh, OmniGraffle but it takes longer to do to draw the circles and draw the arrows and and there isn't that visceral feeling about it anyway for me like there is with uh, pen and paper, which is why I continue to be very excited about the idea of an iPad with a stylus. So what these, um, and I, I see what you're saying. That's that's one of my favorite things about taking note, notes on paper is that you end up circling things and drawing things. They encourage people in this study to doodle as well, which I believe improved. I think one of the groups was encouraged to doodle and doodling improved recollection. Um, which is also interesting. Talk about engaging other parts of your brain. Your brain. You're engaging outside the language centers, right? Arrows and circles and little smiley faces and stick figures and and things like that are coming from a different place than the la- than the language centers, than generating the words. And certainly, they're coming from a different place than you. You know, things passing through your ears to your fingers in a transcript, where you may not uh, have any real recollection of what's being said. You're just trying to get a string of words down, which is a problem. Anyway, in the study, they then went back and told the people on the uh, another group um, on the computers to not do verbatim transcription and instead think about and try to summarize and uh the note taker still did better (laughs) um and they they had them they had the the verbatim note takers study their transcripts that they had written and then come back the next day and the 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 note takers still did better 
So the suggestion, and they, there's more studying to do, they, they want to do more on this, but, but the suggestion here is that perhaps the, just the act of writing with pen on paper and listening to somebody, what somebody is saying is going to be more effective as a learning tool than bringing in a, a, a computer, and that this was all with a laptop, um, bringing in a computer and typing in your notes. Um, and I, I can totally see that. I, I totally, I can totally see that. I have always been a, even when I take notes on, uh, on a computer, I'm, I've been a summarizer, but I'm a much worse note taker on the computer than I am on a piece of paper. It is, it is, here it is, even me and my hatred of uh, paper and pens admitting that uh, I think they're a better note taking medium in general uh, for that. And all of my handwriting is terrible. I can usually recognize it at least soon after i've written don't show me something i wrote a year ago without any context i won't have any idea what i said but um i can do it for for the near term um i am curious about how this might be different if uh you use like a tablet with a with a stylus like you said for this rumored ipad pro would that be essentially you're writing in in ink so it doesn't matter and uh, it would have the same uh impact on your brain and then um so that that, that i'm curious about um I don't know. I also wondered, I wrote a piece for Macworld a couple of years ago about writing articles on an iPad using the software keyboard, just very slowly tapping away on an iPad on its screen. So not being able to type my 120 words a minute, but much slower and how the writing, my writing style was different when I did that. Because I think, again, I was engaging some different parts of my brain and I was also slowing myself down. So I had to more carefully consider every letter and every word and the sentence construction. I, I couldn't just zip past that sentence to the next one. I had to, I had to get it all down. And as a result, I, uh, I, I thought about it in a different way. And I wonder if that is also something that would be similar here, that if you were just typing it in on your phone or your iPad, would you do a better job because you were forced to summarize because you just couldn't get it all down otherwise? That I don't know. I'm curious. But I thought it was cool and it was pen related, so I wanted to bring it up for you too. You know it's going to make me happy. I, I did. I did. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I, it seems totally reasonable to me that that would be, that would be true, that uh, that. And probably people who, you know, students are told, bring your laptop to class and take notes. Um, I, 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 I would hope that this kind of research would lead people to, in, in education to suggest to, you know, keep the laptops closed. Plus, they're a distraction, but keep the laptops closed and, uh, you know, get out your pen and take notes during class. And uh, because that's probably the most effective way to remember what you're what you're being taught. So I want to just do one uh, last piece of follow-up for this week, which is a recommendation that uh, Matthew Panzerino made on the last episode of the talk show with John Gruber mm-hmm. uh, about the Magic Rex Twitter account. Do, are you familiar with this? Do you know what this is? Yeah, I've been using it for a while. Um, so it's a Twitter account that you follow. It's at, it's at Magic Rex, R-E-C-S. And it DMs you every now and then with a recommendation of somebody you should follow or a tweet that you should look for. So I've been following it for a few weeks now, and I'm happy to say that I really like it. Um, it works really well. And I have basically what it does is it's maybe every few days, I think it's been happening for me, it will send me a DM, be like, Jason, uh, John, and Casey, but all followed this person. And it gives you a link to their account, and you can just go look at them. Or uh, three people you know follow uh, favorited this tweet in the last seven seconds. 
Right. And, and it, you, so it tends to be what it's unearthing is interesting people to follow that I don't know or maybe should know. Uh, and also it's it's highlighting to me tweets that people think are important, which tend to be either mm-hmm. big news stories or things to congratulate someone on. Um, <laughs> yep, that's accurate. But it's, it's helping me find, like all of the things that it's suggested to me so far was stuff I didn't know about. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, so it's run by Twitter. And so it's use, it is attached to the Twitter internals. And it's individualized for you. Um, and it's fast. So, for example, I'm looking here. I got a, a note yesterday that Christina Warren, Casey List, John Syracuse, uh, uh, Daniel Jalkut, and one more, because it ran out of space, followed Tanya Latner, who is the new president of the LLVM Foundation. I got the which same Which was just one. created, right? <laughs> yeah, I Well, got we that follow too. a lot of the same people. So that was like, here is an interesting person. And a lot of times I end up following those people. And then a few days ago, I got one that was a tweet by Dan Morin was just favorited by uh, David Lohr, Tony Sindelar, and Paul Weimer, who's a, a, another science fiction podcaster. And that was Dan's tweet with pictures of us recording the live incomparable in Spokane. So as it was going on, not only did Dan post pictures without me knowing, but uh, I got a direct message sent to me from Magic Rex saying, uh, people like this, which was also cool. So, um, and and then I'll just share one more, which is Tiffany Arment's tweet of the people at the museum sitting on the benches and it's three older ladies and Marco. <laughs> that one got favorited by a lot of people really fast. So uh, yeah, Magic Rex is great. It's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's spotty enough that... Um, you know, it, it feels to me like a good technology demonstration of the power that Twitter has, speaking of our, our past episodes, the power that Twitter has to do some amazing things with their data. And I wish that it was more customizable and it could happen more often and I could see it in more places than just what Magic Rex spits out every couple of days. Um, but it's uh, but it's great for what it is. I just I wish I think it's a good example of how powerful uh, features are that they could build internally in tw- at Twitter and uh, and make uh, the service that much more useful. So I've uh, they mentioned it on the show, and it kind of makes sense that this technology is powering um, a lot of the recommendation stuff that Twitter does in the official app. But the thing that makes this different is. This is highlighting maybe the most pertinent things rather than because it's a permanent fixture in the Twitter right. app. It's not always that useful. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Um, yeah, it's... I, I mean, what I love about it is how personal it is. It is based on who you know. <laughs> um, And then from that, it's floating things out. Just like Nuzzle does a great job with news because it's based on who you know. And so everybody's magic wrecks are going to be different, but... It's bubbling under the surface of Twitter, and they're they're using it in a few places. And this is what we've heard is that you know there are uh, things going on at Twitter to use this stuff even more. And it's great. Yeah, I recommend that people follow it because it's not going to be sort of like um, you know Oprah is tweeting about things, right? It's not yep. that unless you love Oprah and follow Oprah and a bunch of things like that. It's going to be these uh, really targeted at the people that you follow and uh, who follow you. So top top tip, good one, good tip. False touch. Talk a bit about False Touch today. Yeah. 
Um, this is a topic that's been doing the rounds a little bit, but we haven't spoken about it too much here. So this is mainly in the idea, this is in the news right now, because everybody is expecting that false touch will probably be the marquee feature of the, of the S line of phones that's about to come mm-hmm. out. Um, because, you know, you, you end up with something like Retina or something like that. Uh, this false touch will end up being the thing, you know, Retina, Siri, that type of stuff. So what are your feelings about false touch on bigger uh, platforms, you know, like the iPad and the iPhone, so these big screens that we have? Oh, it, it is, you're right, it is funny. This is the, um, this is like the feature that, that keeps creeping. <laughs> and so we're all just sort of speculating that it will continue to creep across the, across the product line, even though we've only seen it in the Apple Watch and in the uh, and in the the new MacBooks and MacBook Pros, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I wrote an article which I think is not out yet uh, for Tom's Guide about this for my good uh, pal Philip Michaels, who's who works over there now, and he asked me to write about like sort of like how it will change how we use our phones, and it's an interesting question because if I can back up for a second. Um, On the Apple Watch, it's like a necessary added dimension of functionality. Like you, there are things that you can only do by force touching on the Apple Watch. Like you can't, I don't believe you can like uh, get into the watch face editing mode without a force touch on the watch face. And then it brings up the customization mode. Um, So there, and like if you're uh, like in the workout app, if you want to end the workout, you force touch and then press end workout. That's how it works. But on the Mac, it's a like a another it's not even a right click. It's a it's that three finger tap essentially in most cases. They can apps can modify it to be other things, but it's the three finger tap, which is kind of weird. It's like, you know, define this term or open quick look, which you can also do with uh, the space bar, which is right there. Um and I think that's I. So I think even though developers can do things with it, they also can't. In most cases, they can't require it because it's only on a couple of models. And when I think about how you apply that to iOS, to the iPhone, and potentially to the iPad as well, I start to feel like it's going to be like the Mac. That, um, yeah, maybe there will be a way for developers to detect. Uh, and change their interfaces based on whether a device has force touch or not. Maybe, but are any developers going to really go through the effort of having sort of two ver- two versions of their of of their apps interface and appearance based on whether something's got force touch or not? Or is it more going to be shortcuts? And that's my gut feeling is and there, and and I do think nine to five Mac did a story that said you know shortcuts is sort of what is anticipated for that feature and that seems right because you can't it seems unlikely that it will be mandatory features it may be that you can force touch on an empty part of your launcher screen you know the springboard and it'll say you know would you like to change the wallpaper or something like that that might happen and certainly there uh, there, there was the uh, a nine to five Mac I believe rumor story about how you know you might be able to force touch on an, on a, a location in Mac and have it jump to directions from your current location to that location. Things like that. Shortcuts, right? Which, that's nice. That's a good feature. Um, But uh, given that it's only going to be on these brand new phones, uh, if the rumors are true, and brand new devices, you can't, you you just can't make them, uh, make it a mandatory gesture. Plus, 
On top of that, and I think we see this with the Apple Watch right now, is it, it's not really discoverable. You can discover it by accident, but you know you basically need to be told um, in a little you know getting started guide or something. You have to say you know you need to push hard to on the on the screen, and then it tells you things, and then you can do things with those things. You have to explain it. Um, oh, if I push harder, something happens here, and that's that's harder to communicate to people and a lot of people won't get it and they won't get the differences. So I think it's a, it's problematic. I think it, it starts to, it starts to feel to me like it's kind of a power user feature. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm sure there'll be a great demo of something just like the quick time, that weird quick time thing with where you kept pressing harder on the trackpad on the MacBook and the, the video played faster. Um, that was kind of a cool looking demo, but it's completely useless. Yeah, that's one of those things. Where it's like it's for the per- one person who needs it, great. But who actually really needs to to do that? Like very often, so much so that yeah. it's like this is a marquee feature of this technology. Right. Then again, I don't want to draw the MacBook parallel too far because on a MacBook or a Mac in general, you've got keys. <laughs> And you've got a, a, a click and a right click and modifier cl- keys and all of these different interaction methods. And on the phone, you don't, right? On the phone, you don't. On the phone, it's touch. So you can tap, you can tap and hold, you can do multi-touch, but you know you can't hold down a couple of keyboard, uh, a couple of keys and click in order to get something special to happen on an iPhone because those things aren't there. Isn't you know we were talking on a, a little bit last week about the complexity of these devices. Like, isn't that a good thing that you can't do that? I think it's a good thing, but I think that there are probably cases where, um, you know, it, I don't think those kinds of gestures are for everybody. But I think it's nice to have them for the people who want to use them, as long as they don't get in the way of the other people. Um, so as a you know theoretically a, p- a power user. I look at that ability to have an extra dimension in my uh, in in my gestures and in my usage of that touchscreen device, and I think, well, that's great. You know, I can I can learn this. I can get over the learning curve here, and I'm going to be way more efficient and powerful of what I with what I'm doing on these devices. That's great. Um, but there are a lot of open questions there, right? There's there's uh, is this going to get in piece, people's way, and um, and how do you market a, a power user feature to a, for a product that is very, you know, has even fewer power users by percentage than um, than the computer does, right? Because smartphones are even more a real person device, uh, regular user device than computers are, I think. I feel like, you know, maybe I'm wrong with that, but I feel like this is a, a simpler device uh, that people expect even less to need to learn how to do all the crazy power user features of. So... You know, that's my that's my concern here uh, is, you know, just just think, I mean, Mike, think about this. Uh, how many people are going to say, oh, God, why did this thing happen when I tapped on my iPhone? And the answer is, oh, well, you tapped a little too hard. You pushed a little too hard. Oh, man, I that- just realized what's going to happen if my mom gets one of these. <laughs> She's just going to push everything hard, just force touch everything. Well, I just <laughs> I feel like she would do it right enough accidentally that she's going to feel like she's breaking stuff like things it's going to basically what will happen is for the idea of many people like the idea of touching the screen performs an action and when that starts to what seemingly appears to be sporadically performing different actions 
that adds a layer of complexity, right? So for as long, maybe for the last three years, my mum has used an iPhone and she's actually using it now to like use the internet and buy things online and stuff like that. So she is now feeling comfortable with this device. But now if she starts every every now and then, she presses it and a menu pops up that she's never seen before. <laughs> like that's gonna, I mean, and I know this is yeah. really taking it far, but like uh, I'm using this as an example, which knowing her as I do, that she would be, she would start to feel less confident with it again because things are happening that she doesn't understand that are new and these are the challenges that apple i mean uh, as we've said so many times on the show i'm sure this conversation has been had if there are if if they are putting force touch into these devices these conversations have been had by the people who are building these products right like how do we do this in a way that it doesn't get in the way of people who don't understand what's going on but gives us some advantage gives some users some percentage of users some advantages by using this how do we make it understandable not get in people's way not confuse people and and I, you know, my point here is that that's this is a tricky one to me. It strikes me that this is this is a little bit of a challenge to to do this. Um, and maybe you know, maybe the force touch stuff, if it's in the iPhone, will be very very specific, and it's going to have a haptic you know haptic feedback. So you're going to be able to really tell that it's a very different thing than a tap. But um, it's still going to be a challenge if uh, if. You you want it to be accidentally triggered as little as possible, but you also need people it to be triggered properly when people want to trigger it, and you need to find a way to explain to people that they can trigger it because they're they're probably not going to, uh, it, you know, unless you make it really easy to click by mistake, force touch by mistake, uh, it's going to be hard to find. It's not going to be discoverable, so it's a real it's a real challenge. Um, and not every device has it. That's the other thing, right? So you can't just say, "Well, the good news is <laughs> we can just assume that every single one of these." Well, the Apple Watch, every device has Force Touch, right? Every single Apple Watch will have Force Touch. It's just you can you can assume that it's going to be there, but you, you're not going to be able to do that on iOS for you know years and years, if ever. Well. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, I actually have some stuff. I have some different examples that I want to bring up about this. Um, one that t- goes into the Android world. Uh, but before yeah. we do that, let me take a break and thank our second sponsor for this week, and that is Squarespace. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com. You want to use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll get yourself 10% off Squarespace. Booty beautiful. So many people listening to this show maybe have the skills to build websites, right? Or they have um, already built websites in some description of their own before. And that's great. But Squarespace can still be for you for many different things because Squarespace gives you so many tools that you want to will need to use, right, to get a website up and running without you having to go in and build it from scratch. So you've built enough websites in your time. You've had to manage security updates for far too long on your own, you know, and you just get frustrated with that stuff. These are all the things that Squarespace takes away from you. Or you set up a family member with a square with any type of website, right? You set them up with a, a non-Squarespace site. 
you, you've, you've put them into some crazy place somewhere and you've given them a website and then you have to support them. These are all the things that Squarespace means that you don't have to do, right? They give you fantastic tools, intuitive and easy to use tools. You can make your website look and feel exactly how you want without having to get down into the code and make it yourself. You can go in and tweak that stuff if you want to, but the thing is you don't have to. You don't have to try and set up hosting somewhere else and try and cache it enough, which means that your website's not going to go down in the event that it gets popular because Squarespace take care of all of that. And if you or anybody that you set up a Squarespace website needs support, you can actually just contact their teams. They have live chat and email support 24-7. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland. They're there to help you with anything that you need, any queries, questions, comments, complaints that you have with Squarespace. Those teams are there on hand to help you out. All of their templates feature responsive design. They look fantastic, and you can tailor them to your needs. They have a bunch of different templates. Maybe you're an artist or a musician, or you want to start a blog or have a site for your business. They, they have templates that are tailored to those, but you can take any of their templates and bend and twist them and customize them to fit the needs that you want. And it's super easy to do all of that. I mentioned about setting up a site for your business. Maybe you sell stuff. If you sell stuff, you can use Squarespace's commerce platform. You can add a store to any Squarespace site really, really easily. You can manage inventory. It can help you with shipping stuff. You can set all your pricing in there. You currencies, all that kind of stuff. It is really fantastic. You can also set up a cover page so you can have a single page website really, really easily. And they have, as I mentioned before, that rock-solid, fast hosting. And there's just so much more. I want you to go and try it out for yourself. This is the only way that you're going to know how great Squarespace is. You can start a free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you sign up, their plans start at just $8 a month. And you'll be able to get yourself a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So when you do that, when you do go and sign up for that great plan and you get your domain, make sure that you use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout. It's going to get you 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. I would like to thank Squarespace for helping us out today. Squarespace, Buddha beautiful. So I want to talk about something that I think is quite interesting about a potential use for false touch, um, borrowing something that I've seen on Android. So there is a... Um, a launcher called Action Launcher, and I've used them before, and they were actually um, a previous sponsor on Material, right? Our Android show, a Google show on Relay FM, and one of it the sounds things- exciting. It is. It's, it's action full of action. Launcher. So I tell you what I like about it. So for mm. people that don't know, you can install what's called a launcher into Android, which basically is a kind of replacement for your home screen. So a lot of them have specific functions and stuff that they can can give you. And one of the things that I like about Action Launcher is you can set these shortcuts um, that you can have on folders or on apps. So what you would do is if you you have an icon and instead of tapping the icon, you swipe on the icon, it would give you an action that you can predefine or would do something. So let's say, for example, you had the phone icon, right? You could set that every time you swipe on the phone icon, it will call a specific person that you Mm. require. Or you have a folder, right? You have your photo folder. um, And you can tap on the folder, and you can open the camera, or the Photos app, or a photo editing app. But if you swipe on the Photos folder, you could program it to open the camera and take a picture immediately. So you can you can customize these and give actions to icons and folders by swiping or tapping, and you can predefine them. That's the type of stuff I'd like to see Force Touch do, right? So it's like I have uh, I have my Tweetbot icon. If I just Force Touch on a Tweetbot icon, it opens it immediately to the new tweet field 
or something like that. So this is the type of stuff that I think would be really cool to do, but I don't see Apple doing this type of stuff because of the amount of boxes and ticks and user customization. Mm-hmm. So that I, that's the sort of thing that I would like to see and where I see there could be utility in something like this, but I'm just not sure if I would if I can envision a world where Apple is letting you do that type of uh, tinkering. Yeah, I mean, right. Apple is going to fight against the fiddly bits. They're they're going to they're they're always going to fight against them. That was almost English. The fiddly bits. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also trying to comprehend how you swipe on an icon. So you just swipe. Aren't on. they aren't they small? Well, yeah, but instead of so like your finger, so you sort of touch it and then slide. Yeah, you just swipe. Okay, it, right. So you touch and slide up, so nope. it doesn't register the when you move away. <laughs> touch, touch uh, right, all right. Touch, so you, so you put your finger on the icon and then flick, basically. Right. Yeah, I guess Is that yeah. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, but you don't need to be that precise about it, right? You just swipe in that part of the screen and it recognizes it. Okay. I, it maybe I don't. It maybe sounds complex, but it's. It really is very simple. It's like playing a game, okay. right? When you play a game, you swipe on certain parts of the screen to make things happen. Yeah. Like, it's the same kind of idea. Okay. All right. I believe you. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I could think of some things. Like, um, Apple could... Because one of the fascinating things about this is we've had... Developers have had all summer to work on iOS 9 stuff, right? But there's going to be things in new iPhones, potentially, that are, are that they're going to have access to. But they're not going to know about them until the phone comes out, which is frust. It's understandable, but it's frustrating, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, here's all these cool things that you can spend all summer building. Oh, and here's a brand new feature in our most popular product that you get no time to, uh, you get no warning. It'll be out. It'll be out in a week and a half. Good luck. Um, but they could like offer app developers the ability to build shortcuts. A you know uh, shortcuts in on a force on a force touch on the icon in the in the launcher screen, and the question is is that a single action? You know you can decide what the force touch does, or could it bring up uh you know could it bring up an options menu, um right there, or would it uh, you know or would it launch the app and then the app could choose to bring up an an options menu, um, I, I feel like that's the kind of thing that Apple would would probably do. Is they keep it they keep it simple like that like uh, you know and that would be a nice that would be better than not offering it right the ability to force touch on an icon in the in in the home screen would be better than not offering it and then they could just say and then you figure out what to do with it <laughs> you'll know when your whether your app was brought to the foreground by a force touch or not and you can decide to do something with that and it could be as simple as like you know. I don't. I don't even know what something that jumps you immediately into the action, like you know, the Netflix app just starts playing, leaves off, or the, like the videos app knows that you have something paused that you went away from a while ago, and you force touch on it, and it just starts playing it. It doesn't ask you. It doesn't have you tap the play bar. It just you know, it just plays. Maybe maybe stuff like that, and then somebody else might uh, bring up a menu and say, "Oh, what would you like?" Uh, especially for some automation stuff, that actually might be kind of cool, but. Um, you know, but it would probably be punted to the to the app itself, right? Rather than Apple giving some new user interface element in the launch screen to let you make decisions. Although that would be cool too if they did it, but it seems doesn't seem like them, does it? No, I mean it does definitely make <laughs> sense in the idea that you could 
that the developer would decide. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe it's something you could enable in app setting. I don't know. This yeah, is the thing, see? right? It's This is the, the, the battle between like features and complexity, and it's where feature creep, right? It's the idea is things mm-hmm. just become more and more complex over time, but they kind of have to because there has to be reasons that the product's, you know, there needs to be a reason that we want to buy the 6 Plus S. Well, well, I mean, th- this is it, right? This is this is one of the things Apple struggles with, and I like when we have these conversations because I do think that these are the conversations that happen inside Apple all the time, and that a lot of people who follow this stuff don't think about. Like, they don't think that these things happen. They're, they're you know, as well. It's obvious they should do this. It's like, yeah, but then once you start to pick at it, 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 it uh, you know, it's much more complicated than all of that. Do <laughs> okay, just to get idealistic for a minute. Um, introducing new features just so you've got something to, to flog with the new version of your device is not a good enough reason to do it. It's not. It's not a good enough reason to add a new feature just so that you've got something to sell. I know realistically you need to do that because you want to sell you want to sell products and saying, well, this phone is a little bit faster than the last phone, you know, people don't really care. You want to find something that you can you can demo and you can you can promote really well and and say look how look how awful or look how awesome this is. Not awful. Look how look awesome how this awful is. Look how awful product is. Look how awful this other product is. Haha, but our product is beautiful. Um you got to do that. That's the real world. But that's how companies get in trouble, I think. Is saying, "Yeah, we got this crap. It's not really very good, but we got to sell it cuz, you know, how else? Otherwise, we got no new product." And uh yeah, that's the danger here. I think with this kind of stuff, you maybe see it with um, a lot of Android phones because the market is more competitive there, right? Because you have the iPhone and then for many, I think maybe not Samsung, but everybody else, it's all the Android phones, right? I think Samsung at this point have established themselves in the general mindset as a brand, right? That, That have their own thing. Although they are not impervious to doing this themselves like seemingly adding features for the sake of adding a feature uh without a lot of the thought that needs to go into it like so for example when fingerprint scanners came onto other phones Mm -hmm. uh they seem to be just not very good and now like if you look at um all of the phones coming out now uh the fingerprint scanners seem to be as good as the iphone uh, like they seem to work quickly and you just touch them. Like, for example, I think it's when Samsung first put their fingerprint scanner in, you had to swipe your thumb on the on the home button. But now you, move, you just... Yeah, you had to move it down like yeah. it was a... Like, it, like, like you need to sw- slide it across so it could scan the whole fingerprint. And now you just hold it down like exactly. you, you would on, on, uh, on an iPhone. So, like, that's the difference, right? It's in... Yeah. We have to add something, so we'll add a subpar version of something to get it out there. Apple, again, not... They also... Uh, there are obviously times where they would make compromises, right? They are not, like, perfect. They will do things, I'm sure, that are more akin to this, but at least try and do it in a in the best way that they possibly can. Because I, you know, I don't want to paint them as the perfect company because they definitely aren't with this sort of stuff. And there will be a pull or a push from the marketing team to be like, you need to give us a feature. There has to be a feature to sell. Like there just has to be, right? You, you can't just say, oh, the, you know, the success is just faster. Like because that doesn't work, right? It is faster, and they always make a point of that. But there always has been the thing, right? So the 3GS had video recording, didn't it? 
and then the 4S had Siri. Mm. Um, and that's as far as my, my no, they, mind they, remembers. They always, there's always, there's always something. There's always a marketing feature. Um, and the 3GS had an S for speed. If you remember, um, I, and and you know maybe one of the things we've seen with Apple and new features is that they are, they are restrained sometimes in what they do, especially with the first iteration of a feature like like NFC. People are talking for ages about NFC. When's NFC going to come to iOS? Oh, you've got an NFC chip in Android. You can do all this crazy stuff with it. You can scan little cards and automatically log into the Wi-Fi and all that. And when Apple did NFC, what did they do? They said it's for payments. It's only for payments. Nobody gets to control it. And in this first version, it's, you know, it's completely locked down where nobody has access to it except the system. Uh, and that that was it, right? I, I would like to think that at some point, uh, Apple might open that up, but they may never open it up. They might say, look, the only application we see for this technology is payments. And that's it. We're done. That's it. Um, so with something like Force Touch... We may see Apple, part of what Apple's doing is telling the story. It's to sell the product. They will tell a story. And the story may be a good story, or, or, or we may look at it and say, oh, that's kind of a little, that's kind of weak. Do people really want that? Will it really work like that? That's part of the skepticism that goes uh, into, people talk about the, that reality distortion field, but, you know, and when you're sitting there as a journalist, you have those moments of like, eh, I mean, you, you fit that in too, where you're like, I don't see if this is a good example. Or like, I don't know if people would use that. That's part of the, the set of questions when you haven't used the product yourself and you're just listening to what they're saying. Do you buy their story? Does that story make sense? Is that a story that's going to appeal to consumers? Is it, Are they going to be able to make good on what they promise? Apple's generally, generally good at that. Not perfect, but generally good at that. So maybe Force Touch is going to have a very specific story, a very specific set of uses, and the developer story may be extremely limited. Or the developer story, you know, sometimes what they do is they tell this a very specific story about what Apple is doing with it. And then to the developers, they're like, well, here's the APIs. You guys figure it out. <laughs> that happens sometimes, too, where, you know, Apple's done enough, they think, to make their case for why you could use this on a fundamental you know, system level and 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 with their apps and then the third parties kind of just get turned loose to figure out how what they want to do with it that's a possibility too but it wouldn't surprise me if this all starts out very limited um because that's one way that apple can sometimes be careful about this stuff is to just dial it back a little bit like i know you want to use force touch for this and this and this and you want to have a launcher and you want to have this you know no all it does is this whatever that thing is if they can tell their story if they can tell their marketing story um, you know, I also don't know because I don't know enough about iOS, the iOS game world. I also don't know if game developers look at something like this and say, oh, this would be really great for us because X or whether it's irrelevant to them. But sometimes that that can come into it, too, where there's a very particular story they can tell and bring a couple developers on stage and say, you know, iPhone games are going to be way better because we've got this extra um, pressure sensitivity thing that that we can we can use now, yeah. which, again, may or may not be realistic, but they may find some people to say it. Unreal will have Infinity Blade mm. Force, and you know. Well, you, there's so many <laughs> games. Be great I mean, for, I, a, for a Star Wars game. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about when I used to play. Uh, what was it? Was it Starcraft? Maybe, and you would you would. Uh, it was, maybe that was the game you know in some games where you end up you, you're clicking to select things but you can like command click or right click 
um, on a location and it's basically like send the thing I selected over there. It's like a good shortcut. It's like a click shortcut because those are the, there's sort of two things you might want to do. And I can see something like that, right? There's some games where it's going to be really convenient to be able to tap on something to do this and force touch on something to do that. Um, you know, th- there are examples. I don't know. It'll yeah, be this would be good for games because any additional input you can give on a piece of glass is useful because they're extremely right. limited. Exactly. Exactly. Right. This is this is adding like I was saying about you don't have keyboard shortcuts or anything like that. So there are cases where more complex more complexity will make things easier because you'll have more methods of input. A lot of times more complexity makes things harder, but sometimes it makes it easier because you know, complexity in the sense of like nuance of input, right? That 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 uh, yes, it is weirder if you have like I can touch or I could I could force touch. What do I want to do here? But if you know, if all you can do is touch, and there yet there are three or four things you might actually want to do in that situation, you know, then you end up having to have a menu button that you have to tap that brings up options that you have to tap on, and you know, adding that extra dimension makes actually ends up making it easier. I also imagine an iPad with a stylus, and you press down on the screen with the stylus, and then it opens a little tool palette around you, and you select the tool in your drawing app. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could see it being useful there um, in that, you know, a a simple tap will activate this. But if you press, it will bring up something. I use I use Twitterific for iOS and I love it. I use it all my time all the time on my iPad, but I and, and my iPhone. And, you know, when you for some features, you have to sort of you have to select the tweet and then you have to press the. You know, not everything's out on the tweet. You've got to press the button and then it brings up some options and you choose. And I could see like that could become like second nature. You don't need to hit that button. You just need to force touch. And then the options come up and you press and you're done. I could totally see that. That That is a that is a perfect example of um, they have a tap and hold to switch accounts where you have to tap a particular icon and then you wait and it pops up and then you pick another account. That would be a perfect fit for a force touch because it would instantly know you were trying to do something different and give you the option. There there are lots of examples. So this is this is where the speculation kind of goes off the the cliff though because the real question is how is Apple going to sell this as a user feature assuming this is a big deal? What's the story they tell? How does the how does this make this a bigger a better product yeah. in a way that makes people want to buy a new phone? Where does it fit into that story? Because that's the marketing story. And then there's the real story. And it's best when those things uh, overlap. (laughs) And they don't always. Shall we do some Ask Upgrade? I think that's a great idea. Jason, would you love to tell the people who is sponsoring Ask Upgrade this week? Ask Upgrade this week is sponsored by stamps.com our friends at stamps.com Now, most of us are trying to find more time every day to get things done if you're a small business person this is absolutely the case you don't want to be slowed down by trips to the post office and now you don't have to thanks to stamps.com i've got stamps.com right here well not the whole website but i've got a scale and an account and that means i can ship things from my house without ever going to the post office with stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage it's American postage. This is why Mike can't talk about it. He's not allowed. The queen would get quite cross with him. Um, it, it, right from your computer and printer. It comes out. Official U.S. postage. Stamps.com will send you a digital scale. It automatically calculates the exact postage you need for any letter or package at any class of mail. You don't have to go to the post office anymore. You can do everything right from your desk with Stamps.com. Print the postage you need. Put it on a letter. Put it on a package. Handle, hand it to your mail carrier when they come to your door to deliver your mail. And that's it. You're done. It's gone. It's shipped. You can go back to work. 
Stamps.com costs $15.99 a month. That's it. Um, unlike a postage meter, you don't need a long-term requirement. You don't need to make a multi-year commitment. And there are no markups on postage. In fact, you'll get a special postage discount with Stamps.com. So it's really a no-brainer. I, As I've said, I've used Stamps.com before to ship things as part of the great incomparable incorporated empire, which encompasses everything I do now. Um, in fact, I'm not going to give too much away, but when I was in Spokane, uh, we purchased a uh, a gift for one of my uh, incomparable podcast compatriots at a, a local ballpark, a minor league ballpark. And... Uh, and uh, this compatriot had already left when we bought it, but we, we want to send it to him. And so I, uh, I I took it and I said, I will ship this back to him. Now, there was a time when me shipping something, me agreeing to ship something meant that it would be a long time before anybody ever saw it because I hate going to the post office and shipping things. But now I could say with authority that that package will be mailed and mailed soon. And I can do that because I have stamps.com. I can just do it myself myself from my computer, hand it to the, the mail carrier, and it's done. And that's I would have put it off forever. <laughs> and the joke wouldn't have been as funny when the person received this 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 thing in the mail. Um, and so the, the, this is a perfect example. It's like I'm getting a bunch of work done. I've got, a, I've got stuff to ship. I print the postage. I put it on the packages. Job done. So use a promo code called UPGRADE the name of the show for a special offer at stamps.com you'll get a four-week trial and there's a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer that includes the digital scale and up to 55 dollars in free postage so don't wait go to stamps.com and before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in upgrade that's stamps.com click on the microphone and enter in upgrade and thank you so much to stamps.com for supporting upgrade and hashtag ask upgrade Jason Cliff would like to know, why is the sound quality of FaceTime audio uh, so much different than the sound quality of a standard call on the iPhone? Um, I'm going to assume that this is like a good quality FaceTime audio call. Um, And if you've ever done a FaceTime audio call, you'll realize it sounds very different. Um, And the answer is that standard calls are, um, even if they're, you know, entirely cellular to cellular, they're using the standards of the, of, of, pots of the plain old telephone system which is a very limited audio set of audio uh uh bandwidth frequencies basically it's old it's based on the old analog telephone world and it's something that we still haven't gotten rid of however you know things are changing now you can make calls via ip you can make calls um it, using the this high quality you know there's a high quality phone call format now that is supported by some cell carriers and if you're on a cell carrier that supports it and you call somebody on your carrier sometimes the sound quality is way better um and sometimes if you call somebody who's on a, another cell carrier that supports it and those two carriers have agreed to talk to each other then those will sound way better if you've got a relatively modern iPhone, I think a five or later. Um, so eventually this is going to, you're going to hear this in a bunch of different places and eventually we'll say, Hey, remember when phone calls said ter- uh, sounded terrible, but um, one way around it is just to not use the phone system for that call and instead use the internet. And that's what FaceTime audio does. So it's using, it's like Skype. It's using a, uh, it's using a, a computer codec to encode your voice and it, it has a much 
wider range that is better fitted to the human voice than the old telephone system was. And so it sounds better. So, you know, the, the sooner we're all not making standard phone calls that sound terrible, the better. Um, it is really strange. I mean, it, 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 I mean, you know it when you hear it. I'm sure the listeners know this, that, you know, the sound that comes out of a standard phone call is just not as rich as the sound that comes out of something like a podcast or even a Skype call or a FaceTime audio call. So, you know, that that's basically it, is that it, it it's... Uh, when you fall back to the actual phone service, you have to go to the lowest common denominator sound, and it's a very limited frequency range. FaceTime audio is the closest I've heard to actual people. So, like, it sounds the mm-hmm. most like the people that I'm talking to. Like, it sounds very, very real. Um, yeah, and I have failed to use this new high-quality um, call thing that they that they added Um I, that's I, that's never I've never been on a carrier I sure. guess that supports it or talked to somebody who was also on that carrier who supported it uh, on a device that supported it. But FaceTime audio, you know, as long as you've got another device that'll do FaceTime, it works great. I had a I had a whole phone call uh, the other week with Lex Friedman that was on FaceTime audio, mm-hmm. and it was very uh, he was at an airport and I could hear. Um, you know, I could hear people around him. I could hear the, I could hear the announcements. Uh, it was crazy. The, you know, the detail compared to what we uh, just assume a phone call sounds like. So, like, I actually dislike the way it sounds because for that reason, like, it sounds too real. Like, I prefer the way Skype sounds. Skype has a what I feel to be like a warmer sound to it. Yeah, and they do once- some compre- they do some compression and they, they they do some stuff with it that that is different. I mean, it all gets processed right, but they do some different stuff with Skype than they do with FaceTime. So on episode thirty eight of the prompt on five by five, me and Stephen tested this. So we were we were having this kind of discussion, and we went from the local recording to Skype to FaceTime to to show the the difference ah. in sound. So I'll put that in the show notes. Plus, nice. it's old enough that if you listen to it, you'll get to hear how different we both sound. <laughs> right, so uh, next up, we have Dave. Dave would like to know, Jason, which VESA mount are you using for your iMac? Oh, yeah. Uh, this uh, We were talking about my desktop again and my uh, my attempts to make it uh, make it cleaner. And every time you talk about what's on your desk and people look at a picture, they ask, what's that thing in the corner? We talked about this. This is how we got on the whole orange Nerf brain topic way back in the day. Brain bowl. Um, We will link to uh, my post from last November, what's on my desk. But the answer is I bought the Visa mount iMac, uh, 5K iMac, uh, which means it doesn't come with a foot. It can never have a foot. If I want to put it on, set it on a desk, I'll need to buy a Visa mountable stand for it. But I wanted it off the desk. I wanted it on an arm, and and the arm I got actually came with my, with my desk. Um, but it is a a, a uh, right angle products hover series two um, spring arm. I don't know. It it I literally I the people who made my desk, um, said, would you like an arm? <laughs> and, you know, check check this box in the in the in the order form. <laughs> If you want a, a Visa mount arm, and I did, and so that's uh, that's what I did, and I have a I have an adjustable sit sit stand desk. That's that's the desk. It's the vert desk, uh, and that's okay. in that story too. That's what I was just about um, to ask you. I didn't remember that. Yeah, yeah. The wire, wire cutter uh, loves this desk. They called it noticeably cheap. 
they didn't love it. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't love it. But I, I think it's fine. It is. It is small and uh, fits in my uh, little office space here, and is exactly what I wanted. Lucas asked, "Are the step counts from the Apple Watch automatically added to the Health app on the iPhone?" I tested this, Jason, today. Good. That's good because I was going to say, "Why did you ask? Why did you add this to the?" <laughs> You're not supposed to add things I can't answer to ask upgrade. <laughs> I don't know the answer, so tell me, Mike, what so, happens? I didn't know this, so I wanted to test it. And this was early this morning when I was doing the prep for the show. So I opened the health app on my iPhone, and it showed that I had taken 380 steps in the day. Again, very early in the morning, okay? Very early in the morning. Yeah, got it. Uh, I looked at my watch, and my watch said that I had taken 380 steps. I opened Pedometer++, which reads the information from the phone, right? And it said zero. So my deduction from this is that the health app takes the data from the watch, and probably, um, um, my understanding from talking to uh, people like David Smith about this type of stuff, uh, that the health app takes data from the phone and the watch, and I think kind of works it out within a region between mm-hmm. them, so it can say, "Oh, you've walked this much." Um, but then I, there is some stuff coming with iOS nine and WatchOS two, as Stephen has reminded me in the chat room, that will make it even better, and they'll be able to share with each other. Because at the moment, the watch can share with the phone, and the phone can share with the watch, but developers can't take access of that data. Right. So, so I have Pedometer Plus Plus right now tells tells me I've taken sixteen steps today. Yep. And that's because I've been walking around with my watch, but not uh, the phone. We, same. We can talk about this on a future show, but I, I did install the watchOS 2 beta, and I've actually been using my watch as my alarm clock the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and um, and so I, I, I just got up and put the watch on. And so I, I've taken 300 steps so far this morning. Um, but the phone, I haven't been carrying the phone around, and so it only it's only measured 16. And so Pedometer++ Plus Plus is only showing 16, but the health app will, will show that same 300 steps. There you go. It's getting better. WatchOS 2 will help a lot of this stuff. I think this is talking about Apple sort of like taking a first step and then and then refining with the second version of it. I think we'll see a lot of that with when uh, iOS 9 and WatchOS 2 ship. Aaron has asked, have either of us found any good third-party Apple Watch bands? I haven't. I've no. seen people tweet about them, but I haven't I haven't tried any. Um I did do an order uh, for that company that says they're making lugs that are uh, that are compatible with standard watch bands, and uh, hopefully they will actually. I'm still fifty fifty on whether that product will ever actually ship. But yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the stuff to come from the Made for Apple Watch program or whatever they're calling yeah. it because I don't think any of that stuff is out yet. Like I will look at third party watch bands when I can find them on the Apple Store website. That's that's the what they're the ones that I'll look at because I just want to know that the lugs that are holding on my Apple Watch that I consider to be so dear to me are going to keep right. closed, right? And, I, and and the made for Apple Watch products, the lugs come from Apple. Apple yep. provides the lugs, and then you tie into them as a watch band designer. So that's what I'm waiting for. 
And finally today, uh, Rob has asked us what YouTubers we watch and how do we feel about YouTube. I mean, I like YouTube. Uh, one yep. of the things for me, and I haven't really included these so much, and I don't really say them, I, I follow a bunch of different YouTube accounts and pick and choose from stuff that I like and accounts that I like that aren't necessarily YouTubers. Like I like watching the Verges videos and Polygon's videos and Tested.com's videos, but I don't really consider them to be like YouTubers. In right. the same way, right? They're not like individuals. They're just like companies who also put their videos on YouTube. Um, so I don't really think that they count as much. But my the two YouTube personalities that I enjoy the most and watch every single video, of course, CGP Grey. Um, and my new kind of favorite YouTuber who I've been binging is uh, MKBHD, Marques Brownlee. Right. I don't. I I would hope that everybody that listens to this show is at least familiar with him, because he is probably one of the most important people in tech journalism today. Like, he just is. He he, he goes to every single event. Like, he's given all of the stuff that you know. He's given all pre-release hardware, and the guy's super smart, and he creates very informative, very entertaining videos about technology. Um, mm-hmm. and I am I am becoming a very very big fan of his work. So I would thoroughly suggest uh, subscribing to MKBHD's channel. All right, and then I am a uh, I am a forty four year old man. So do I even watch YouTube? <laughs> I do. Um, the uh, let's see. Uh, I subscribe to some silly stuff. I subscribe to Anglophenia, which is a thing that's from BBC America, where there are. Uh, where uh, British people tell you funny differences between uh, British things and American things. I enjoy that. It's very funny. Um, uh, Alton Brown, the uh, the uh, food TV network personality, I'll describe him as, and host of of uh, former host of Good Eats, which is one of my favorite, uh, certainly my one of my favorite informational TV shows of all time. Um, he has a YouTube channel that he hasn't updated a lot lately, I think because he's so busy with uh, the various competition shows that he is a host of on the Food Network. But he uh, makes his YouTube channel is fun. It's got he's got a lot of uh, it's like the uh, second coming of Good Eats in a, in a way. He's got a lot of uh, things that he makes and explains how he makes uh, various food items on that channel that are pretty cool, along with some food related items. Uh, you have to watch the videos to see, but they're good. Uh, Smarter Every Day is great. Uh, you may know that guy from the... A lot of people link to the the thing about the bicycle, how if you reverse the... um, If you reverse the behavior of a bicycle and how you pedal a bicycle to go forward, it basically... Everybody falls off, and it takes a long time to unlearn your bicycle riding behavior that you've you've uh, you've stored away, and then relearn how to ride a bicycle the the proper way or the this new inverted way. Um, that's a the, there's some great videos there, and then uh, Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, uh, has a is doing some videos that are part of this larger series of crash course videos that are again tied to tied to PBS, I believe, but he's got a, uh, it's called uh, crash course astronomy and I just enjoy astronomy things. Uh, so I, I, I list that, but mostly I just bounce around and watch what the internet wants me to watch. And I don't, you know, I, even though I have some YouTube subscri- subscriptions, I don't necessarily, you know, 
go to them regularly. I, I a lot of times it's just uh, what people suggest, and I go and I go watch those. I, su- I should say, in contrast to my kids, who absolutely, if you ask them this question, could list probably thirty YouTubers that they love. So, like, what I tend to do uh, when, like, when I'm eating lunch or whatever, I open up YouTube and I either watch a video from somebody that I'm subscribed to because I subscribe to a bunch of channels just. And the reason I do this, I don't necessarily watch all their videos, is I subscribe to channels that um, I've seen videos of that I'm interested in. Because then when I go to YouTube's homepage, it suggests videos to me. And quite that, a lot yeah. of the time, I just open up a video and watch it because it seems interesting. Yeah, and I've got like Geek and Sundry, which is where the, the tabletop stuff from uh, Will Wheaton is, was, is? I don't know. I have no, um, I can't remember with Geek and I've got Sundry. A, I've got a bunch of stuff like that in there, too, that... that that it's stuff i i actually i just it has not crossed the threshold for me where there's enough new stuff in there that is stuff i really want to watch that i that i check my youtube subscriptions regularly that hasn't happened uh so much yet i i would not be surprised if it if it did with that like i agree with you but the thing is i also know that if i looked and actually went in and found stuff and was actively trying to find stuff it would become that I, I just don't spend enough time looking. I know that there is uh, lots and lots and lots of stuff in there that I'm sure I will find fascinating, but I just haven't really gone in and, and done that work, I suppose. Yeah. So there we go. I put a bunch of links to those YouTube accounts that we've spoken about, as well as many other things that we've spoken about today. If you head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 51, you can find them, or they should be showing up in your podcast app of choice. But, mm, indeed. Uh, Perhaps have a with good chapter app. marks, who knows? Not today. <laughs> Too busy for chapter markers today? Just testing, Jason. Just All testing. Right. Uh, I'll, uh, if you would like to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can find Jason on Twitter. He's at Jasonl, J-S-N-E-L-L, and he is over at sixcolors.com, and I am I Mike I am Y-K-E and you can find uh, my shows and, and other shows that Jason does as well including Clockwise and Liftoff over at Relay.fm uh, thanks again to our sponsors this week the lovely Stamps.com Squarespace and GoToMeeting for helping us out but most of all thank you for listening until next time say goodbye Mr. Snell bye everybody <laughs> <laughs>